You know, the story of the transfiguration is the story of when Jesus took his disciples up on a mountain to pray. And it was when they were up on this mountain that his appearance was transformed. It was truly beyond words, and yet it was described in the manner in which we read here. What they saw was something glorious, something beautiful. And even something that, if they were really trying to describe it in full, that they would use more words. But it was inexplicable, luminous in appearance. And Jesus had taken Peter, John, and James with him, and what they saw must have been beyond belief and beyond our wildest imaginations. We're going to learn about who they saw while they were there and how they responded to what they saw and then what they heard from heaven. Simple word from the Father. What did this all mean? And why, why is this here for us? And we ought to always ask that question. Again, this is something that as we come together, together as we gather together corporately in the body of Christ here, the local fellowship of the saints. We shouldn't be thinking about how this could apply to someone. Oh man, this so-and-so could have really benefited from from this study, this, this message. We should be thinking, how is this applicable to me? How is my faith going to be deepened? Why is this here for us this morning? You know, we know that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For he is the Son of God who is eternal. And his glory is what we will behold one day in its fullness. And the transfiguration is a moment when Jesus allowed his disciples to see just a glimpse of the spiritual realm, a glimpse of his glory. To see a glimpse of his radiance. To know that he is the God of the living. That their faith in him may strengthen. And their convictions be more firmly established in the truth. You know Romans 10.17 says. So faith comes by hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. John we know he was one of the three apostles who were taken up. To this mountain by Jesus. And so it was him, James, and Peter who experienced this event. Being transfigured is probably not the right way to describe Jesus, but rather a brief revealing of his glory. Because it was simply an exposure is what it was. You see, his deity was always there. His glory was always there. Hadn't left. But he exposed that glory. It's shown in this moment atop this mountain to his disciples. The greater miracle, as I had mentioned earlier, 
is how it is that Jesus veiled this glory in a human body. What was awaiting his disciples is what Jesus revealed to them. Just a little glimpse. Just a little, a little peek into what awaited them. His disciples having experiences looking back after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. This is what they knew. Philippians 2, 6, and 7 says, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So the Apostle Paul wrote this, knowing full well, this hypostatic union of Jesus being fully God and fully man. John knew this. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, Daniel had mentioned how amazing this is, that even as he was being knit in his mother's womb, he was at the same time holding all creation together. Fully God and fully man. Now, think about that. <laughs> but John says also in John 1.14, he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In hindsight, John was writing these things that were true. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Our joy, knowing that your joy is complete, is what John is saying there. John was one of the ones that Jesus was preparing. He was preparing his disciples to evangelize the world by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of God's grace, the forgiveness of sins known by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. He was preparing them to make disciples of all nations, declaring that Jesus is the Son of God who was sent to die on the cross and was victorious over sin and death. As he shed his blood on the cross for our sins and resurrected from the grave. Ascended to the Father after 40 days. And he will one, one day come for us to receive us unto himself. Again, we keep in mind that these are things that Jesus was doing to reveal who he was to his disciples. To train them up to 
help them as they would later receive the Spirit to look back and their faith be increased that, increased that much more. The transfiguration that Jesus desires is ours, though. The transformation. He desires that none perish, but that all reach repentance, that all come to believe in him, that we would not remain in our sin and therefore condemned for all eternity, but that we would turn from our sin, repent, and believe on him, to know salvation in Christ, and one day knowing that we will behold his glory in its fullness for all eternity. And so we see this, uh, this event, and my prayer is that as we walk through it, that perhaps God's word will be embedded in our hearts that much more, and we will be encouraged in our faith, and therefore it will reflect in how we live our lives to the glory of God. So we see this dazzling appearance Mentioned here in verses 28 and 29. Again, we read now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It had been eight days since Jesus had told his disciples that he would suffer many things, be rejected, be killed. And yet on the third day, be raised from the grave. Eight days earlier, Jesus had told them that in order to be his disciples, they must deny themselves, pick up their cross, and follow him. Eight days earlier, Peter had confessed Jesus was the Christ of God. And now, Jesus takes these three men, these three, three disciples of his, Peter, John, and James... Up to this mountain to pray. Now, as far as the mountain is concerned, this specific one, we don't know which one it is. Some think that it was Mount Tabor, which is just west of the Sea of Galilee. Others think that perhaps it was Mount Hermon, which is to the north of the Sea of Galilee. Closer to the area of Caesarea Philippi which was where Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ of God. The fact is that Jesus took these three up onto a mountain to pray. Why he took them up was to pray. And as he was praying, something took place that was absolutely out of this world. It was absolutely amazing. This is what Jesus intended to show them as he took them up to this mountain. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. This is how Luke describes the transfiguration of Jesus upon this mountain. It was altered. But what what does that mean? You know, as we go to Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 2 describes it. Uh, this way, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Kind of makes you think about Saul on the road to Damascus, and when he was blinded 
Right? The Lord blinded him, but the, the light was so bright. Right? It's shown like the sun. It's, it's the same description. And here it is. Matthew is describing it this way. Luke is describing it as he was, he was just transfigured. And his clothes were dazzling. I think it was Jesus who was dazzling. And this was so bright that it overwhelmed his clothing, everything. But can you imagine, I mean, in your mind's eye, if you were to look directly into the sun, you would, you would see a spot, right? And they, they tell you, don't, don't look directly into the sun, you'll go blind. It's just, it's so bright. And Matthew describes it this way. His face shone like the sun. It was altered. It was brilliant, dazzling, radiant. Again, a light like the sun. Matthew and Mark describe Jesus' face as being transfigured. This means that his appearance was, was beautiful. In reality, what they saw was beyond human description, elevated to something that they had never experienced. When John wrote his gospel, he wrote it having experienced this. Again, looking back perhaps at this moment and thinking about this. In John 8, 12, it says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I just imagine John as he was led by the spirit, as he was moved by the spirit to write this. Thinking, oh, I remember that time atop the mountain. And we saw the brilliance of Jesus, the Son of God. Oh yes, He is the light of life. He is the truth. He is our Savior. He is our hope. In John 1.9, this was John the Baptist who was denying that he was the light and he was pointing to Jesus as the light. And he says the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. And he was his forerunner to prepare everyone for the Lord, the coming of the Lord. Remember that Jesus had just told them that he would suffer many things. And ultimately, that he would be put to death. But that he would also be raised from the grave. He said these things to them. So you can just imagine a group of people who had been following him and been with him. Seen all of these miracles. And as Daniel pointed out, they still did not have it right. And it was these people that were with him. That had heard these things just eight days earlier. That I have no doubt that as they look back, they could say, man, we should have been encouraged even more. (laughs) You see, I can't help but think that we're always looking for one more experience. As if we hadn't already known enough. We put it back on the Lord. Lord, you do something more. So that our faith can deepen in you. Not just what we know already. 
really should be enough for our faith to be deeply rooted in him, strong, immovable, to the point to where we're not shaken. Not looking for another experience, uh, something else to overwhelm us with feeling or emotion, but simply knowing and having the conviction that God is faithful and we can trust Him. And yet, in the same breath I can say, we all fall short. And he knows that. That's why he's long-suffering. He's patient with us. His end, you see, with the disciples, he was showing them, his end was not the grave. His end was not the cross. For he would be victorious over the cross, and he would be victorious over the grave. That dazzling appearance was only a glimpse of the glory that awaited them. But then they experienced something else. In that moment, they saw this fellowship between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Truly, absolutely incredible. Verse 30, as we continue, says, And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. This was a, a glorious, a divine fellowship between these three. And I find it interesting how it is that these disciples recognized that these two men were Moses and Elijah. You ever wonder, oh, when we get into heaven, will we know everyone? Again, this is a glimpse. Just a quick, a little glimpse. They already knew. I, I found that interesting. Incredible that they already knew. This, this is Moses and this is Elijah. Because we don't read that Jesus introduces them. Oh, by the way, here's Peter, John, and James. I just want to introduce to you. Uh, this is Moses and this is Elijah. He doesn't do that. I'm always reminded of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, which says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. How well are you known by God? Perfectly, right? He knew you before you were in your mother's womb. And so these, these disciples, oh, what, what an experience. Peter, John, James, they, they saw this and they, they recognized them. You know, in heaven, I don't believe we will need anyone to introduce us to each other at all. I believe that we will know just as we have been known perfectly by God. So we will know. Again, this is a, an example. Just a, a little moment that Jesus has shown them and perhaps for us 
if we have questions like that, that we would come to know. This is an example to us of what awaits us. We can wonder, as many have in the past, as to why these two and not others, you know. So why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham? Why not? And you can go down the list, right? One day, perhaps we'll know, and we will. And if it's important for this to be explained to us, and God will explain it to us. Some say it was because Moses represents those who die and go to glory. And that Elijah was there because he represents those who are raptured or caught up into heaven without experiencing death. The law and the prophets, which we have Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. Again, this isn't what is clarified for us in scripture. We simply know that it was Moses and Elijah. These are the two witnesses that we see in Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 13. But take note, as, as we're referring to Moses and Elijah appearing with Jesus, we're, we're speaking of those who are living. They appeared in glory. The conversation that they were having, perhaps... Um, as we see this and we see it described for us, is that the apostles picked it up in the middle of the conversation. They were talking about Jesus' departure. They could have been talking about other things, but the one thing that they were discussing was Jesus' death. That was soon to come. In Jerusalem. The significance of this. They looked forward to this. We look back. They look forward as it's described in Hebrews. Chapter 11. We look back. It's in this moment that God is reconciling man to himself through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Again, it's beyond our comprehension. Moses and Elijah, they're there and they're asking him, oh, this is what you're going to go through. It's finally going to come about. The Son of God, the only begotten, suffering, his body being broken, his blood being shed, the plan of redemption that God had in place from the very beginning. He was there. It was finally time. It was why the Father sent the Son. In Isaiah 53.10, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Uh, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Again, it was a small glimpse of glory. It was a glimpse of eternal fellowship secured by the blood of the Lamb that was about to be spilled for you and I. Moses and Elijah were talking to him about that. 
But then we come across and kind of just bring things into a place of human weakness. And that is the sleeping disciples. Verse 32 says, Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. But when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men stood with him. It sounds uh, pretty amazing to me that these three disciples could go up on a mountain to pray with Jesus and be sound asleep as this was going on. We do know that they woke up again in the middle of this conversation. They fall asleep while Jesus is meeting with Moses and Elijah. And they wake up to see what was taking place. And you think about how it is that sometimes we we wonder, you know, are we asleep at times, spiritually speaking, when we should be fully awake, knowing that the presence of God is with us, that we have the indwelling Holy Spirit, that He desires to lead and guide us, and yet we are asleep at the wheel, so to speak. We're entertained, busy, distracted. We're not fully engaged. With what the Lord desires for us to be engaged in and with. These men were taken up the hill for a specific reason. It wasn't just, hey, just come up with me, fellas. I'm going to meet with Moses and Elijah. And you guys can take a nap while I meet with them. No, it was, it was for them. You don't think Jesus already knew Moses and Elijah? <laughs> All of these things were happening for the benefit of those who were there. To believe that their their faith, that they would have faith in who Jesus is. They saw and recognized Moses and Elijah. They were all, they were both standing with Jesus, speaking with him regarding his departure, which was to take place in Jerusalem. We know this. Jesus didn't have to tell his disciples that this is what awaited them because they saw it. They heard it. They experienced it for themselves. We ought to not be like these disciples, though, who fell asleep in this moment. We ought to be diligent We ought to prove ourselves to the Lord. You know, study to show yourself approved to God. A worker who has no need to be ashamed and who rightly handles or divides a word of truth. That is what we're called to do, to be sober-minded, to be awake, clear as to what the circumstances and our surroundings are, to discern, to be fully awake. So let us be diligent. Let us read and study God's word, pray and serve him. And one day you will experience his glory for all eternity. Until then, let us be about our father's business. Again, fully aware 
of where we stand in the direction that we're going and what God desires for us. There was a misunderstanding in the moment, though, for Peter, John, and James. In verse 33, it says, And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. So it was a present misunderstanding. Peter is known for saying things he shouldn't say. Before you say, I know someone like that, you know, uh, foot and mouth syndrome, you know, and I always say, just make sure you understand Sometimes you speak out of turn also. Okay? Before we, we, we turn around and look at someone else and say, that's their problem, that's what they do. Peter is described as saying something he does not understand. How many things have you said that you just don't understand in the moment? You're looking to uh, human philosophy or wisdom. In fact, the wisdom of the world as the Bible describes it to be foolishness in the eyes of the Lord compared to the Lord. We've said things out of turn if that's what we're relying on. We're no better than Peter. I think it's a good lesson for us if we genuinely desire to be like Jesus to consider the fact that Jesus did not dismiss Peter but rather taught him and restored him when Peter denied Jesus Three times. But those weren't his three, only three mistakes, right? Here Peter is described as not knowing what he said. What he is saying, what Peter is saying is, I don't want this moment to end. Let's just make three tabernacles. Oh, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's be in this moment and experience this forever. In essence, he was telling Jesus, you don't have to do, I have an idea, you don't have to do what you've been describing for us that you're going to do in Jerusalem. You don't have to do that. Because now, oh, now this is glorious. This is wonderful. Right now we can have it all. Let us remain here. What he was doing in saying that is that he was putting Jesus on the same plane, the same level as Moses and Elijah. He was not understanding. Peter didn't understand. Again, Peter, this is just but a small glimpse of what awaits you. It's an example of... What you're going to experience in the fullness of the glory of God is far beyond this. And this is all you want? This is it? Paul had seen uh, the third heaven. 
And he had seen the glory of Jesus and experienced some amazing things. And yet he said this in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul. That's the whole reason why it was that he had that, this thorn in his flesh, which we don't know. I'm glad we don't know. So that it would buffet him, that it would humble him. Otherwise, as he describes, he would become conceited. Oh, let me tell you about all that I have experienced. If anyone knew scripture, it was the Apostle Paul. And yet he said, Everything that I've seen, everything that I've experienced, all the knowledge I have, (laughs) it's all rubbish. It's all trash. It's dung. Some people still brag about their dung. They, They do. We do. We have a tendency to do that. And he says, you know what? I don't. I haven't arrived, and this is what he's saying to the Philippians, I haven't arrived. I'm, I'm, I'm no one. But I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we all should attain to. That's it. Peter, this is just a small glimpse. This isn't it. We hold on to this life as this was it. Something small happens to us and and we can spiral into this depression because things are going well for us. Hey, listen, that's our tendency, but that's not where we ought to remain. The answer is Jesus Christ has always been Jesus Christ. But look at how Peter was responded to. Because Jesus did not respond to Peter. The Father did. God's glory overwhelmed Peter and the others. God's Shekinah glory is what we see here. And at that moment when they were overwhelmed with this glory, they were filled with fear. It cannot be explained as a simple cloud that overwhelmed them that wouldn't bring fear like it's being described here it's God's Shekinah glory the cloud of glory that was felt and known in verse 35 it says and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one listen to him and when the voice had spoken Jesus was found alone And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. That's it. No further explanation. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The distinction was made by the father. Jesus was not the same as Moses and Elijah. Peter, John, and James, they heard the same thing, saw the same thing, experienced the same thing.
And God didn't tell Peter to be quiet. Not directly. But he told Peter to listen to Jesus. Not even mentioning Moses and Elijah. Again, keep in mind, in hindsight, right? Later, they would probably remember this. But for now, as this was all that God the Father had spoke to them, and all that they had heard spoken between Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, and all that they had experienced, it would suffice to reveal to them once again who Jesus was. This was it. This, this was enough. And for now, in this moment, they were speechless. They told no one. No one at all until the resurrection. Second Peter, verse 1. We're in Second Peter 1, verses 16. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with them on the holy mountain. So now Peter is looking back. We were there on that holy mountain. We heard this voice. This is my Son, my chosen one. Listen to him. After that, they found themselves, as we Read in Luke, they found themselves alone. They told no one until after, again, his resurrection. It was on that day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Spirit of God that they now had an understanding. Remember, that's the Spirit of God. Men, you know, we've, we've studied this as we know that the Spirit of God leads us into all truth. He, he's the one who gives us understanding, teaches us all things. And so it was in that moment that they received the Holy Spirit that all of these things, all of a sudden, they had an understanding of them. Now again, I take you back to this this experience. Because you would think that this experience would actually transform their lives. Wouldn't it be? I mean, you think about it. And this is, again, what we always, because we tend to strive for this. We want this. Lord, give me another, like, mountaintop experience. And my faith will be bolstered. But I need to point something very important out to you. And that is that this experience, even being as significant as it was, as powerful as it was, did not change these men in the moment. Didn't change them. People are always looking for that one experience that would change their lives forever. I want to have, like I hear these testimonies, I want to have that testimony. And if that were to happen to me, then my faith would be, oh man, it would be like, Immovable. When God has offered his son. And our belief in him. 
to be the transforming power that we need. That's it. Knowing that we have been redeemed by God, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I told you, I, I, think, I think it was last week, and I pointed this out. You know, I'm not here to tell you that if you're dealing with a physical ailment, uh, a marriage that has fallen apart, an addiction, financial woes, that Jesus is the answer to all of those. Because that means absolutely nothing if you do not have salvation in Jesus Christ. Because you could go through financial difficulties and and all of these other things and yet have Jesus, you have everything. Because this life will soon pass. And what we've determined who we've surrendered our lives to is what's of utmost importance. Don't look for that next experience. Just simply surrender your life to Christ and trust in him. Walk with him. He's faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The one thing that Jesus desires is that all would experience salvation in him. By that we are assured that what we experience in his presence for eternity will far exceed what these three men experienced atop this mountain. Far exceed it. You think that was amazing? Just wait till you see what happens in, in heaven. That's what I long for. That's what I look forward to. That glory that awaits us. The apostles believed it. The question for us is, do we believe it? And is just simply believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ enough. I don't need any more, Lord. You don't have to do anything more for me. Thank you for doing that. And with that, Lord, I'll respond with my entire life. Just, just simply walk with you, trust in you. Help me to glorify you. May this encourage us. Maybe a, a transformation of our own minds and our own wills to that of Christ's. Father, we thank you, Lord, for you are faithful. Lord, I simply ask that you have your way with us. We can um, individually confess our own downfalls to you. Let us not speak on behalf of others, Lord, but simply ourselves. Lord, that you would um, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would set our mind on the things of above and not the things of the earth. Lord, help us to see even moments 
like these in Scripture. Lord, and, and learn from it. Lord, that we would heed the words of the Father, you the Father, as you simply said, this, this is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. Oh, Lord, just simple words, and yet, Lord, they ought to speak to us. We know they are profound. Lord, not to listen to the world or to even much less our own hearts, but to listen to Jesus Christ, who is the Word become flesh, who dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten Son. And so, Father, Help us to be faithful to you and to bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.